When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on the afternoon of Thursday, March 2nd. Mind you, the day this show is actually supposed to go live will be Friday, March 3rd, which, just so you folks are aware... National Cold Cut Day and our National Day of Unplugging. So, Aaron, how about this for a plan? You get yourself a deli platter and then you leave your phone in the car so you can pull a brief Robert Frost. I mean, go for a walk in some snow-filled wood. Charcuterie boards for everybody. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay. I'm going to now well, throw in the especially local plug of this uh, show has been brought to you by Goose the Market in downtown Indianapolis. For the best charcuterie board, Goose the Market. All right, go ahead. Cool, cool. Okay. (laughs) All I ask, folks, is if you could maybe hold off on the National Day of Unplugging until after you listen to this podcast, because Aaron and I would really appreciate that, because deli platters are expensive. All right. Lots of Marvel-related news this week, and as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so let's start with the obvious. Uh, Aaron, were you following any of those stories about the, oh my God, the scary monumental fall-off in box office for Ant-Man and Quantum Mania for its second weekend in release. Well, what did it fall off? Ninety five percent. Well, I mean, are they not... expecting it to go up? What's what's uh, the math is always usually unfortunate on week two, isn't it? Like a sixty percent drop off. So what did we hit? Eighty percent? Ninety percent? How bad was it? Seventy one. It's a little bit, just a touch high, a touch. Okay, so as of right now, Amp and the Wasp stands at one hundred seventy one domestic, one hundred ninety six million overseas. So that's 360 million worldwide, 12 days after it debuted in theaters. And if you read the stories this weekend, you know, they, oh my God, this is this is a disappointment. And it's like after 12 days, 171 million in North American theaters. If we jump now to the original Ant-Man back in 2015, 12 days after it was released to theaters, it had only sold $113 million worth of tickets. And then if we jump ahead to 2018, to the second sequel, Man of the Wasp, that sold $142 million, uh, worth of tickets in North America in just 12 days. So am I the only one who can do math? Yes. Actually, I've done a, a show on a different podcast about how Americans can't do math. Yes, you are the only one. Yeah. Oh, well, there we go. I mean, no, well, the, the question is, didn't they under predict they said the opening would be X and it turned out being higher than that for their for their opening wing, weekend? It did. OK, so doesn't this kind of balance that out? 
they got a little bit more. Those those second week uh, viewers actually showed up on week one instead and mm-hmm. didn't show up on week two. But the the numbers are still kind of the same-ish. They over on one side, under on the other, but overall balanced, right? Well, the other thing that's fascinating here, and if you talk with, with folks at Disney and Marvel, they will flat out tell you that people aren't stupid. They now know that in roughly 8 to 12 weeks, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania is going to be available for viewing on Disney+. Plus. Where in the past, if they really enjoyed an MCU film, uh, an Infinity War, an Endgame, or No Way Home, they'd go to the theaters after seeing it on opening weekend and catch it additional two times, three times, whatever. You know what's got to really suck for them, mathematically speaking, is trying to figure out what is the actual number of like individuals who do have Disney Plus that avoided the theater because of the principle of I'm already paying for Disney Plus. Because mm-hmm. you and I went to the theater, they've got our money, so they've got that number, right? Mm-hmm. X amount of tickets by X amount of uh, you know dollars per ticket equals this many mm-hmm. individuals. So that's very, mm-hmm. very simple math. We're where it gets really murky for them is when you get to the Disney Plus side, you and I both have Disney Plus. I bet mm-hmm. both you and I will end up rewatching Ant-Man Quantumania. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't know whether you and I both purchased a ticket or not. And how can they tell whether I had a ticket, went to go see it, or I didn't have a ticket when I'm watching it on Disney Plus? There's no way for them to verify that. So they're going to get a number uh, on Disney Plus saying... Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania had 30 million views, as an example. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to know how many of those were original theater-goers watching it a second time and how many were actually first-time viewers that avoided the theater. And if they can't figure out that math, it's going to be a a long road of them looking at this very complex algebra for, like, the next movie that comes out. It it, it Mm -hmm. underperforms. Okay, well, what's that tell us on Disney Plus? Okay, well, that gets... 40 million views? What? How does that break out? I don't freaking know, Bob. We're still missing a couple variables here. No, 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 absolutely. And 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 trust me, they are chasing this data. They're trying to figure out the non-intrusive way to collect this information so that right. they, they can then sort of factor this into, okay, how can I justify that budget? Because it you know, will make this much theatrical. At some point in, in the future, we're going to be watching, like going to click play on Secret Wars on Disney Plus, and a little pop-up will go, have you already seen this in theaters, by the way? <laughs> Just click yes or no. Before the movie will play, you have to tell us. Did you see this in yeah. theaters? What would the incentive be? What 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 could they do? Because I bring this up because just last night on Jimmy Kimmel, John Favreau uh, was on the show promoting uh, season three of The Mandalorian. And uh, but again, you know, you got to remember that John Favreau wears a, a number of hats. He's he's got his Star Wars hat and he's got his MCU hat, and and he knows what a huge Marvel fan Kimmel was. So he brought an alternate take. Of that post-credit scene from the original Iron Man, where oh, yeah, Nick okay. Fury yeah. shows up in uh, Tony Stark's house and you know and recruits him for the Avengers Initiative. So, you know, if you tuned in last night to uh, ABC Late Night, you, you got this clip. But could that be the way? You know, to the effect of how do we get you 
to, you know, give us additional info. You know how uh, on DVDs now we have like the director's cut? What mm-hmm. if they flipped that and reversed it and put the director's cut in theaters only and then put the edited for television version? Like, you know, like where uh, mm. instead of saying the expletive, well, that dirty, rotten cat scratcher, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, is, is the dub uh, where they cut out the swear words and, and uh, they put in little spots for commercial breaks and it's poorly edited that way where some scenes are kind of lifted out because it almost showed a booby not that marvel's ever done that but yeah you could you could just do the uh tame down version and and then do uh extra scenes that you know that's an act of evil genius right there (laughs) garen oh my god i'm I'm almost afraid that you just put that out in the world i get just because that sounds like a wonderful business plan i mean don't get me wrong there there are idiots like myself who i'm seriously thinking about going back to the theater that the, were Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania is playing, not necessarily to see the film, but they had this really cool popcorn bucket that was shaped like the Ant-Man's helmet. Oh, no, it should have been a, a MODOK where you're eating out of his skull. Uh, oh, oh, oh. He could sit on your lap with his little legs. You just put him on your lap like a little toddler and you're eating popcorn out of their skull. It's a wonderful image, wonderful image. They really missed the boat on that. It is so interesting you bring this up at this moment because uh, the the gentleman who wrote Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantum Media, Jeff Loveness, was talking just this past week with the Daily Beast about the reviews for a Quantum Media, which remember we talked about on a previous show were kind of brutal. And Jeff went on to say, "Look, to be honest, those reviews took me by surprise. I, I was in a pretty low spot. They were not good reviews, and I was like, what the." Yeah, I was really proud of what I wrote for Jonathan and Michelle Pfeiffer, and I thought it was good stuff, and I was just despondent. I was really sad about it. So he actually went to the theater and attended a public screening of Quantum Mania like, after seeing those negative reviews, and he said, he, and he's sitting there surrounded by audience members who were laughing at, at all, a lot of the jokes he put in the script, and he's like, God damn it, no, the reviews are wrong. I'm right. Modoc is great. So it's like, okay, I, overall now I'm pretty happy. I'm at a better spot. And I learned that it's not all bad. You know, I, I just have to get on making things. Toward that end, though, did you see, I want to say this was a review for The Hollywood Reporter that Jeff did, where he talked about some story threads that evidently were teased in the trailer that did you see in any of the early Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania trailers of a shot of Evangeline Lilly's character with longer hair and with two kids? Not that I recall specifically. No. Well, evidently this was shot and it was sort of the notion of to give um, the Van Dyne character a story of her own. This is what the multiverse could mean. This is this is the road not taken for your character. And the gentleman who was doing the uh, interview for The Hollywood Reporter talked about the fact that, you know, Ryan Coogler was, you know, talked with him just a few months ago. And he was talking about the original story for Black Panther 2 back before we lost Chadwick Boseman and the whole notion of, he had been dusted for five years, and when he came back, he found out he'd had a son. Oh, by the way, before you continue, can I just throw in a, a conspiracy theory seed real quick? Okay. This will sprout into a beautiful tree one day. Trust me, Jim. Okay. Kang is not a, a, a long-lost descendant of Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. It's uh, T'Challa's son that we meet in Black Panther 2. Go. 
Watch that tree blossom one day. Just we'll add some water to it by by feeding that every once in a while. Like that's our wow. our conspiracy theory, and we'll we'll let that grow over the next couple of years. That's two in one show. That's impressive. Uh, you know, okay. Um, anyway, um, so Loveness was quizzed about this, especially given if you think about the the whole thing about uh, Scott Lang and his thing of I lost time with Cassie, and just the whole sense of. It feels like there was a story, more of a story thread there. Certainly, I think on the last show, you were pointing out that this was something that was hit pretty hard in the early trailers of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and uh, didn't necessarily, you know, pan out in the finished film. But before you finish films, you got to start them. And we've been following Deadpool 3 that, that's readying production. And, and Hugh Jackman definitely has a black belt and when it comes to social media, I, I don't know if you saw the interview he did just in the past week where he was talking about how putting back on the, the adamantium clause is, did I say it right? Adamantium, yes. Like okay. the, old, the old singer, adamant, adamantium. There we go. There you go. Okay. But he said, that's not a problem. You know, said the thing that's concerning me about playing Logan again is the amount of growling I have to do. He said, mm-hmm. I've, actu- I've actually done damage to my voice over the years through playing Wolverine. So but it's one of these things where only somebody who periodically shows up on a Broadway stage would ex- express this concern. My falsetto is not as strong as it used to be. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I put that down directly to some of the growling and the yelling I did in the X-Men movies. So uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. That kind of cracked me up. Anyway, last we keep saying... We are very close to a start of production on Deadpool 3, and this long-awaited pair-up of Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman is slated to arrive in theaters uh, November of 2024. But as we saw, as we talked about just on last week's show, with uh, the Marvel shifting its release date, let's see if that one holds. And speaking of movies that you know we're going to see shortly... Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse just had an interesting bit of casting news that that ties back to Deadpool. Uh, do you remember uh, Karen Sony? He played the cab driver in the first two Deadpool movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was great. He's going to be playing uh, a- another spider, isn't he? Yes, he's going to be playing Spider-Man India, you know, which is a, another one of the, the, the multiverse characters, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to see him in action when this Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel shows up in theaters on June 2nd. There is a, a Spider-Verse uh, thing going on right now in the comics that mm-hmm. I am kind of hoping shows its ugly head somewhere in the uh, cinematic universe. It mm-hmm. They kind of do a, a go-back-in-time situation where uh, Peter does not get bitten by the spider Instead, it's a different character, and she ends up becoming the character, I believe, Silk, oh. which uh, Amazon is supposed to be having a show in development for right now. And Peter Parker still helps her because he's like a scientific genius, and he can still kind of create like maybe the webbing fluid for her if she decides that she needs that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh, if Peter was not Spider-Man but helped the spider person, whoever got bitten by the, the spider... And uh, the the whole gag of the story is that they have to get back to, I guess, the real Peter Parker is, is uh, will save the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently he's like dead right now. 
or doesn't Ooh. exist in the way that that they know him. So they're trying to get to a, a bitten Peter and the same net. But anyway, it's all convoluted in the beginning of a new storyline. But Silk is the the spider back in the day. Peter Parker never gets bitten, but he helps and teams up with. And uh, and I know Amazon's got a thing coming. Uh, from Sony about Silk. So who knows if they'll steal from that? Because I know they're really kind of heavily invested in the idea mm-hmm. of a of a Spider-Verse, especially if they also have that Spider-Man noir that mm-hmm. they also recently said will, will be in development shortly. To further muddy the waters here, I was reading a story earlier this week that evidently Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man will show up in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And, but the it, intriguing thing is, not an animated version, but the huh. live-action Tom Holland. So it's like, okay, how do you pull that off? Other news. Uh, this is on the production side of, of, of things. Nat Moore, who is the vice president in charge of production and development of Marvel Studios, recently revealed that Captain America New World Order begins filming in just three weeks. This is our first time we're going to see Anthony Mackie's version of Captain America up on the big screen after Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But Aaron, you came across this great story about Anthony Mackie and his trouble getting access to the the script for New World Order. Yeah, I'm going to extremely super paraphrase from like Uproxx, the website where I found this little article. But it was essentially that he had to text someone Mm-hmm. And they would meet him out in the woods under a, a, a moonless night with a briefcase. And actually, it wasn't a briefcase. I think there was a laptop inside of the briefcase. They didn't even have, like, a physical script. But he would then have to, like, I don't know if it was a thumbprint ID or whatever, but he would log into a website that would show the script at that moment. And then he said, for real now, that there was, like, a 21-year-old intern just sitting there hating you. He's sitting there eating cheese uh, Cheetos going, read faster. And he says, I'm dyslexic. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, apparently they, they're they incredibly secretive, you know, even with the big stars who, mm-hmm. well, you would think that you could trust the big stars of the movies, but apparently we have Tom Holland's in the world that teach us differently. We have Mark Ruffalo's who teach us differently. Yeah, everyone accidentally lets something slip. But again, you uh, filmed this. Like a year ago, you know, Tom Holland filmed the Spider-Man movie, you know, Mm -hmm. a a year before it came out, maybe Mm -hmm. a year and a half or two years. Mm -hmm. And he's been sitting on these secrets and then they're, they're getting ready to do junkets when the movie comes out and they're like, what was it like? And he was like, oh, and he doesn't know what the day is. Has it been released yet or not? (laughs) I mean, it's, I've been waiting three years on the secret and apparently on a specific Tuesday, I can let it slip. And I don't know if this is the Tuesday or not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So they keep those things so incredibly secretive still yep can you blame them though can you if you're a tom holland think about it it's got to be so weird i mean for example i was just reading a piece in forbes about the web slinger a spider-man adventure attraction at disney's california adventure and they were talking about how they've recently introduced some new tech that you can, of course, purchase in the post-show gift shop that some of this actually keys off of Hank Pym and Scott Lang in Ant-Man Quantumania. But the notion is you can juice up your performance in the ride if you buy this tech that keys off of the latest release in theaters. But at the same time, they mentioned, oh, and by the way, since there is 
a new Spider-Man movie coming that we are looking at updating a scene or two in this attraction, which, remember, only just opened at DCA, what, two years ago? Two and a half years ago? Or just opening this past summer in Paris. What they need to update, though, is the web shooter. Here's the web shooter for movie one that you can purchase for fifty nine ninety nine. Here's the web uh, shooter for movie two that you can purchase for, you know, sixty five dollars. And the one that just came out this week is now available for a low $90. Give us your money. Uh, pretty much. All right. Uh, past few weeks, folks, uh, Aaron and I have made a point to talk about award ceremony or award season on the show. Uh, we've been especially tracking Angela Bassett's pursuit of a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And by doing that, talking about the weird world of Hollywood where it's important how you do on other award shows that sort of uses the tea leaves to determine what's going to happen at this year's Academy Awards. This past week, though, there was an especially weird uh, moment in the, uh, the awards show season. They had the World Trailer Awards, Aaron, and this is for the best work that's done in advertising and promoting a film. Uh, worth noting here that the team that marketed the Batman as well as Black Panther Wakanda Forever did quite well at, at these awards, which, by the way, were not Hollywood adjacent. They were held in Portugal. But for example, for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, they took home the award for best online advertising. And given how you and I have, have bashed on this movie repeatedly, I know you're going to love to hear that the best motion poster for a film last year was the one that was done for Morbius. So Morbius got a little love. Well, that, that's because it was like an hour and 39 minutes shorter than the film. <laughs> and it's all you really needed to see. You look at it, you kind of nod your head and go, hmm, cool. And then walk on by and, and uh, you're not ruined by having to watch the movie. I can see that winning the award. Okay, makes sense. Cool. Okay, now... <laughs> Uh, switching over to uh, trailer side of the business, Best Sizzle trailer was for Thor Love and Thunder, the Taika Waititi movie. Best Teaser trailer was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And let's see, uh, Wakanda also took home the Best Motion Picture poster. That's a lot of uh, comic book heavy content. Were there other things that won other awards that just aren't listed here because they're not quite, you know, Marvel relevant at the moment? most romantic trailer or something? No, this is all about how things are promoted in the world of television, cinema, gaming, and streaming. Just honoring the folks who aren't necessarily the creators of the content, but the folks who figure out what's the best way to promote these things. And given what Black Panther Wakanda Forever has earned at the box office so far, it's hard to argue that they mismanaged the, the publicity. In fact, they did a pretty solid job. Oh, it just seems ultra male heavy. Like all, all of those movies, it's like not, not one romance, not one thoughtful, not one educational, not one whatever, just superheroes in capes and tights. I do not know what to tell you, but, <laughs> but I will keep an eye on the World Trailer Awards next year. And, and if, the, if there's a rom-com... Uh, things are much more flashy when they explode, you know, so I, I guess, you know, it's it's probably going to lean that way anyway, because there's more action to feature. So I get why why those things would end up eking towards mm -hmm. the top anyway, naturally. 
Okay. All right. Pivoting quickly to some casting news. I don't know if you've, you've heard Lauren Glazier, who previously had been on the Mindhunter show. She's been cast in a supporting role for a new limited series that Marvel Studios is prepping for Disney+. Plus, Wonder Man. The story, as it's put out by Disney+, Plus to, to promote the, the limited series that's in production. Uh, Wonder Man follows Simons Williams, who in the comics is a scion of a wealthy industrialist, but his company winds up losing out to Tony Stark's Stark Industries. Williams then goes to work for the villain Baron Zemo, who gives him ionic talents, that being extreme strength. Uh, once an adversary of the Avengers, Wonder Man eventually teams with them. And beyond that, Details of the show are being kept under wraps. Ben Kingsley is associated with this project. So I'm wondering if our character from Iron Man 3 and Shang-Chi and the uh, Legend of the Ten Rings shows up again. I mean, he would have to. He would have to. So as we mentioned, Lauren Glazer, they're, they're, her exact role in the show is being kept under wraps at this point. On the other hand, Stephen Yoon, who a lot of folks know from... The Walking Dead show, he's just been hired to appear in the Thunderbolts. And what's kind of interesting is the rumor that's making the rounds for this project, which again is supposed to arrive in theaters next year in July, is that he's playing Marvel's astounding Golden Man, the Sentry. Do you know this character? Nope, not a clue. Supposedly, Yoon was brought on board for this project with the idea that this character will continue on into the MCU and in other projects. It seems like we're getting, you know, a, a lot of periphery type mm -hmm. characters, but it also seems like with, with the number of projects, you know, maybe slowing down, mm -hmm. it seems like it's going to be really hard to get to know all of these new fascinating characters. Because, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, we're going to have uh, Adam Warlock as a mm -hmm. new character that we're going to... Uh, we've already had teased the younger brother or whatever of Thanos at the end of Eternals that was played by uh, the pop singer kid. Oh, you're right. You're right. Right. Oh, you know what I mean? Styles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I mean, like, there's a lot of, of little characters that are being teased and introduced. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to not put out as much content and cut budgets a little bit here and there. And I wonder if that's going to affect, you know, because we're going to have a team up movie soon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't think I'm going to like a lot of these characters enough for them to be in the Avengers just yet. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I want them. I want time to uh, get to know them, to develop them a little bit. You know, I mean, Captain Marvel is like the new kid on the block in my mind still. Mm. She just had a solo thing and then she ended up saving the day at the end of of Endgame. Mm -hmm. You know, but she wasn't there for most of it. She just showed up and, and you know, did a really great job at the very, very end. But still, she's like a new kid mm -hmm. in feel for me uh, where she hasn't had a proper sequel yet. And we've just got all these these new characters who are being seeded throughout the universe. And I wonder how much time are we actually going to get? Are, are they going to get used properly or not? Like, I think we're getting back to the Hollywood math thing we were talking about at the top of the show. And it's it just for me, it's fascinating to watch what gets used, and how it gets used. Like, for example, on the second half of today's show, we're going to talk about that crazy bit of news that, that broke earlier this week about Rogers the Musical it literally being staged 
in a theater at DCA. And it's another one of these things. Am I the only one who paid attention to Hawkeye, the limited series that... <laughs> it's Rogers. embarrassingly bad. Let's yeah, let's make I mean, a, a real life embarrassingly bad play. Yeah, but see the thing is, I'm tempted to watch it. Uh, it's so bad it was good. That okay. was kind of the idea that they had to do like it, it, if they mock mm-hmm. uh traditional stage plays and and musicals in mm-hmm. the right way. They you know, kind of like a this is spinal tap or for your consideration type of movie where, you know, mm-hmm. They give you the theme, and then they just lampoon the source material in a proper way. It could be a lot of fun. It well, really could. I mean, Mel Brooks has a house by the sea because he, he he did this. But yeah. All right. We'll, we'll tell you what. Let's take a, a quick break here, folks. And when we get back, we will talk about Rogers the Musical and the venue it's going into, the Hyperion Theater at Disney's California Adventure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As we mentioned before the break, we're going to talk about Rogers the Musical. But first, I, I feel like we, we need to talk about the Hyperion Theater, which a 1984 seat venue that had to be built on an Indian burial ground because this theater has been snake bit since it first opened in February of 2001. Now, mind you, the original plans for this theater, Aaron, uh, it was going to be the Disneyland Resort equivalent of the Universal Amphitheater at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood with the notion that during the day, this outdoor amphitheater was where you went in that park to watch the Wild Wild West stunt show. But as the park would close for the day, the set for the Wild Wild West show, which was on this elaborate sort of train track kind of setup, turned. And then suddenly the Wild Wild West show was to the back and to the front was a professional stage that a a Frank Sinatra or a Neil Diamond could appear on. And so Universal could get two bites of the same apple. They had this venue they could use in the theme park during the day, but they could do professional stage shows and concerts on it at night. In fact, the very first professional production of Jesus Christ Superstar that was done out in Southern California was actually mounted at the Universal Amphitheater in the same space that the stunt show happened. So I would pay good money to watch Jesus walk out of a saloon, but moving on. (laughs) So Disney was going to do the same thing. The idea was that they would would build this theater right down by the edge of Disneyland Plaza with one set of doors that faced onto Disneyland Plaza and another set that were inside the park so that during the day, people who were seeing a stage show inside of the park would enter through that way. But then as the park closed for the night, if, you know, for example, just like with the Universal Amphitheater, if you you were going to go see Pink or Rihanna or that sort of thing, you could come drive down to Disneyland, you could park your car in the big parking garage, take the shuttle over, and then go in through the Disneyland Plaza side and, and see your concert. But then, as happened with a lot of aspects of California Adventure, 
the powers that be at Disney decided to cheap out to the point that they moved the theater away from the edge of Disneyland Plaza so they could no, no longer double dip. And then to add insult to injury, they literally didn't put toilets in the theater. If you have to go to the bathroom while you're attending a performance at the Hyperion Theater, you literally have to walk out of the theater and go to a different building because that saved some money, supposedly. Hyperion Theater opens with the rest of California Adventure February 2001. The very first show that's inside of this thing, Steps in Time, which is sort of a, a deconstruction of, of Disney music, is so poorly received that within months it's closed. And they, they actually take a Broadway show called Blast and do a cut-down version of it. They, they throw this into the theater temporarily called The Powers of Blast. And that starts running in the fall of 2001. And finally, by the end of 2002, they're like, okay, we're, we're going to do something different. And in this case... It's Aladdin, a, a musical spectacular that opens in January of 2003. Kind of interesting. It predates the Aladdin, a new Broadway musical that opens at the New Amsterdam in New York in March of 2006. But Alan Menken, uh, the Academy Award winner who, who did the score for Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and so many Disney films, uh, he wrote a brand new song for the, the, the theme park show, which then never showed up in the, the Broadway production, a, a song for Jasmine to call to be free. And Aladdin does okay. By spring of 2010, Disney announces that Aladdin, the music spectacular is going to close and they're going to bring in Toy Story, the musical, which had been created for the cruise line. But some reason that plan changes and Aladdin then hangs in there till January of 2016 it's then announced that they're going to put a a new musical based on a, a Disney animated film, Frozen, uh, Frozen Live at the Hyperion, into you know this DCA theater that opens in May of 2016, and then the theater closes in March of 2020 because of the pandemic. So Rogers the musical first got seen as a a painful. Uh, you know, the, the, the musical number that we, we saw uh, Clint Barton and his family watching in that show was I Can Do It All Day, uh, which is, you know, the musical version of the Battle of New York. Just last year at the D23 Expo in Hall D23, Kevin Feige, who stood on stage and, you know, was like, you know, I, I come to these things and I, uh, the Disney animation people, they always get to do musical numbers and I'm jealous and I want to do one. And suddenly here in front of the 7,000 people in the whole D23 is I can do it all day being presented. In fact, Mark Shaman, the, the gentleman who wrote the song is there directing the music and, and it was well enough received that here we are now with a limited run of Rogers the Musical debuting at the Disneyland Resort sometime this summer. This would be a great time for a little cross-promotion with, uh, say, the Muppets. You get uh, Statler and Waldorf up in their little <laughs> balcony seat, just heckling the show the whole time. I've seen a better hammer at Ace Hardware. <laughs> I, I like that. I do like that. And have you seen the trailer, by the way, where, hmm. you know, somebody who is clearly dressed as Peggy Carter is walking up Hollywood Boulevard and suddenly the marquee of the Hyperion Theater opens and you can see that 
the Rogers the Musical is about to, to, to debut here. And it's just sort of like, so the fact that they, they show Peggy in the tease for this makes me wonder, how much of a show are we going to get? Are we going to, for example, people forget that there is another musical number that's associated with Steve Rogers. Do you remember the Star Spangled Man? Oh, yeah, from uh, the original First Avenger there yeah. we go. There we go. Well, that number was written for that movie by Alan Menken. Again, we just mentioned the, the guy who wrote the music for Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and that sort of thing. And David Zippel, who, by the way, they collaborated previously uh, for Disney on their musical version of Hercules, who I, I want to remind folks that there's a live action version of Disney's Hercules in the works only Anthony and Joe Russo, the guys who wrote and directed Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and Endgame, they were the guys behind that. So there's a lot of the story that sort of folds in on itself. So I, I have to wonder, because they're going to want to do at least a 20-minute show, maybe closer to a half hour. So I And I can do it all day. Well, it only seemed like it ran 20 minutes when I was watching it at the <laughs> D23 Expo, but um, I'm sure it's shorter than that. So I would guess the Star Spangled Man gets them another five minutes. No way. If they're going to do a short show, I mean, mm. uh, what did you say, like 20 minutes? The very best theme park attractions are short. They turn quickly so you can get another audience in. And remember, this this is a theater that seats 1,984 people. So potentially if a relatively short show, something that's close to a half hour or thereabouts, you could do five and six performances a day, easy, during an, right. a, an average operation day at a theme park. And that's what, 10,000 people who, who get to see, you know, Rogers the Musical, they yeah, go home that, happy. That just, that just means that when you're writing a song, it's more of a Delamitri role to me that comes in at a tight two minutes and 10 seconds versus Inagata Davida, which you all know is the bathroom song for there the DJ. Go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that yeah. and Alice's restaurant, yes. Yeah. So, all right. It's worth noting that by mounting Rogers the musical in the Hyperion Theater at DCA, that then allows the footprint of Anaheim's version of the Avengers Campus to expand to go deeper into that theme park's Hollywood Land section. Uh, also worth noting that just in the past week or so, directly across from the theater uh, where Rogers the Musical is going to be staged, they've just opened the Moon Girl meet and greet, which, you know, is uh, helping to promote that new animated series on Disney Channel and Disney Plus. So going to be kind of interesting to see what happens here long, long term and, and more to the point. Just the fact that, you know, Moon Girl is there, you know, uh, doing the meet and greet, which helps paint, promote the animated series. That's how the, those guys on Madison Avenue work. They're always looking for, for new ways to, to capture your attention to, to when you want a burger, but you don't understand why you want a burger. And toward that end, I don't know if you folks are aware of this wonderful new podcast, 32nd Street, that does a deep dive on uh, the, the world of advertising and how things are marketed. But that's your latest outside project, right, Aaron? Indeed it is. That's my new baby. And uh, this week we're talking about geolocation and advertising. Man, is it handy. And uh, really, isn't it better to have a, a commercial that's actually relevant to you that could sell you something that you could actually use as opposed to being bombarded with, say, I don't know, diaper ads. Like, I've, I don't have kids. I don't, I don't need diapers for any reason at all. 
Why are you telling me about diapers right now? Get out of here. You're wasting my time. So, uh, yeah, turn on your, your geolocation and your smart settings. Unless you're a spy. <laughs> if you're a spy, leave them off. That's the one exception. I, I have to admit, I, I have very little uh, experience at this, but, but it's worth noting, just after Christmas, Nancy and I uh, met up with our friends Angela Ragno and, and Flo Doyle, and we, we were getting together at the Burlington Mall then the ladies decided they wanted to do a little shopping, and I, I was the Sherpa. I was the one who mm-hmm. stood outside with the bags. But the very thing you're talking about, the, the fact that my phone, I would move a foot, and a new alert would come up on my phone to the effect of, hi, you're next to the entrance of the store. Do you need calendars? Mm-hmm. You know, and move a foot, and hi, you're in, near the entrance of this store. How do you feel about scented candles? Because you can get them two for one. And it was just, I had never seen this in action, and it was like, holy cow. I hate to say that I'm one of those idiots that will pay $6 for a cup of coffee from Starbucks, Mm -hmm. but like I get to the drive-thru and my phone goes ding and it's like, here's the card to pay for the coffee you're about to buy, you jackass. And and I can tap it Mm -hmm. and put my thumbprint on it and it comes up with a little barcode reader and I show the guy my phone and he scans it and uh, that's that's how we make transactions nowadays. And it is really kind of weird, but once you start getting used to it, it changes the way that you live your life. Oh, no, no, definitely. It just, I mean, I, I get the whole point of smart devices and, and the notion of, you know, the ease of use. I mean, you're, you're yeah. obviously in the drive-thru at Starbucks. Let's get you your media set up so you can, this transaction can happen as quickly as possible. But these days I can be outwitted by toasters. So it's the notion that my phone, it has a, so much more on the ball than I do. is is It's just kind of depressing. All right. Anyway, that's too much information, folks. But other information I like to share with you. Remind you, we got some other podcasts here. We we have, of course, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Uh, likewise, we have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, likewise, uh, we have Looking at Lucasfilm I do with Brian Gahn. And in fact, he and I will be recording a brand new episode uh, now that, as we mentioned, top of the show, season three of Mandalorian is underway again. On the other hand, if you just can't wait to hear Aaron's pithy comments or, or, or learn more about what he's up to. Can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on social media? Jump over to Twitter and type in at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. You can also find me on social media at Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. So uh, on behalf of Mr. Adams, I want to thank you for listening. And we'll be back with a brand new MUD real soon.